Hello and welcome to Brackets, Bubbles, and Bid Steelers Season 4, Episode 2. I am Sam Fetterman with Jonathan Lidskin. Guys, it's time for the most controversial episode of the summer. We got to talk coach rankings. Yeah, this is, you know, this is the second year now I've done my top 50 coaches in the country. Um, last year, obviously, things happened. People were upset this year. People so far, far have also been upset, but a lot more tame. Uh, I think that, first of all, I think coaches ranking them, especially in college basketball, probably the most subjective thing you can rank in this sport. Like, there's just so many different ways you can go, so many different criteria. There's no good way to rank this. There's no correct way to do this. Um, but it's fun. I have, I, have, I have fun doing this every year. Yeah, I think a lot of people have fun doing it. That's why ranking rankings are always so popular on all forms of social media. I mean, yeah. I, think there's, I think there's a darn good reason for that. It gives people something to talk about. Yeah, and it gives us a podcast for tonight. Mm-hmm. It does. So let's first talk about criteria. So someone asks every single time someone posts a list like this, what's the criteria? Is it like just because there's more than one criteria, obviously. Mm-hmm. So let's discuss yeah. like, let's discuss the main response that we gave. Yeah, here is I can read off my answer if you want. Let's go. So my answer to the question, what the criteria is for this. I said, first of all, results, both regular season and tournament, obviously. Um, I probably weigh the NCAA tournament a little less than most people just because of how high variance it is. And like, it just like stuff can happen. So obviously, like there are trends that you can pick up on, but a lot of it is just luck, matchups, who you run into, who, who catches who on a bad night, stuff like that. Uh, recruiting, r- program building, culture building, toughness of the job, adaptability of the team to play against different types of teams, and then player development. So That, got- by the way, the adaptability part is my favorite criteria because I don't think people think about it enough when they talk about coaches, what makes a great coach. What makes a great coach is a guy that can beat anybody. Yeah, and the adaptability part comes not only like just in games, but like how your team improves and or or falls off throughout the course of the season. Like that's one of the reasons I'm lower on Bruce Pearl because yeah, like his team won the SEC regular season a couple years ago with Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. But one of the reasons I'm like lower on him is because his team like just completely fell apart without like any injuries in the second half of the season. Like from early February on, they were just flat out bad at, at times. And I think people forget that like you can have, like people forget that like teams improve and like fall off throughout the course of the season. Like that's something I do take into account. Yeah. And I think it's very important to think about that perspective of coaching because people don't really, people will look at the record. They'll look at, Oh, they started off 18 and 0. that means they must've been great. 
Mm-hmm. New Mexico started off 14-0 this year. Started off 14-0. Yeah. They went below 500 in the Mountain West. Yeah. Um, obviously, the, there's different scenarios for forever. Now he's a talented team. But, right, like you – you also like have to evaluate things like based on expectation. And then there's sometimes when you have to take expectation out of the picture. Like, for example, Duke this year. We thought Duke was gonna come in, Derek Whitehead, Derek Lively were gonna be these superstar freshmen. And while both of them were good at times, like Derek Whitehead was not near the player that Duke thought they were getting and that we thought Duke was getting. Yeah, like, and Derek Lively was expectations change. It took Derek Lively 20 games to figure himself out. Right. Now, so we, let's we, go we, into... Yeah, we can get into any part of this that you let's want. Let's get into this. Number one, Bill Self. Last year, we both thought Kelvin Sampson was the best coach in college basketball. Mm-hmm. Then Kelvin Sampson led the best team in college basketball. And we now both believe Bill Self is the best coach in college basketball. Jonathan... Can you start by maybe explaining our thought? Not not necessarily, because this is your list, not mine, but we both agree on a lot of this. So, Bill Self at number one, like, I was probably leaning there anyway, but the justification for me came when he didn't coach games at the end of the season, and, like, I'm just going to flat out say it, Kansas doesn't lose that game to Arkansas. If Bill Self is coaching, like no doubt, I, I'm not. And listen, like I don't think of many teams were beating UConn, but like especially the way they were playing. But like Kansas with Bill Self coaching would have had a chance. Like would have had. I a, totally agree with that. It would have. They would have had a at, good chance. And I think I look at Kansas and I say, all right, what were they with Bill Self? What were they without Bill Self? And I also look at some of the games that they played where. I just look at it and say they are not phased by anything. Mm-hmm. They are prepared for everything. In terms of adaptability, they're probably the best team in the country. Yeah, and I also like the dudes lost. What? What is it now? Like eighteen career home games at Kansas. It's not many. Like it's it's if you if you are going to Allen Fieldhouse to watch a game, the chance of you seeing a loss from the home team is basically slim to none. So, like, he, he's won X many regular season titles in the Big 12. It's, it's a ton now. He ha- had that really long streak where they won the regular season title every single year. Kansas, right now, is the most consistent program in college basketball. Yeah, absolutely agree. 100% most consistent program in college basketball. Every single year. Kansas Kansas has not been worse than a four seed since, like, 2008. Yeah, like, the worst Kansas teams, like, were 2021 during the COVID year when they were a three seed and 2019 when they were a four. Like, in, like, in between those years, like, 2020, they were the best team in the country. 2022, they were arguably the best team in the country. Last last year they were a one seed, or arguably they were definitely one of the best teams in the country. So, like, just the model, like in a sport that has like essentially no consistency or very little consistency, like Kansas is the model. Kansas, 
they don't recruit the best players in the country. And I yeah. had a big rant about Bill Self last year. I thought his teams were playing soft. Mm-hmm. And then out this year comes KJ Adams, who is maybe the best, the most switchable player in the country. Yeah. And super tough. Jalen Wilson, he manned up over the, over the last year and a half. Um, Dewan Harris, that guy has taken a big step. The player development without fail for Kansas, we obviously, you know, there's, they don't have guys like Marcus Garrett. Marcus Garrett's one of one in terms of a guy that starts off as a defensive specialist, is tough, 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 and then becomes a number one option, number two option type offensive player. But that's a testament to the development that Bill Self had. That's a testament to the development that Bill Self has able to put these players on and the Kansas program itself because you can have so much talent and still have room to develop guys through without interrupting the talent. They have all upperclassmen almost every year. Now, I think they're going to be a little bit worse than some people think this year. Bill Self is the reason they're a top-five team. It's not the talent. It's Bill Self. Yeah, it's – it's just amazing, like like what the guy has been able to do, like even at a blue blood program like Kansas, like like the, that run of what was it, like ten or eleven Big Twelve titles in a row. Like we won't ever see that again in any any high major league. No, no chance. It was just totally wild. All right, what what else should we talk about? Should we just keep going down? Yeah, let's go down the list. Kelvin Sampson. In terms, really identity, in, like, in terms of an identity, I don't think there's any other coach in the country whose identity is more clear than Tony right. Sampson. Yeah. And I, effective, not just clear, but effective. I, I agree with that. Um, like, you can say what you want about the Miami game. Like, they went like 31 and three or 31 and two. Like, even, even in the American, like, you're not supposed to be able to like just roll through teams like that, like like in they the did night in and night out. Five seasons in the last five seasons, these are Houston's records: thirty-three and four. Sorry, last six seasons: twenty-seven and eight, thirty-three and four, twenty-three and eight, twenty-eight and four, thirty-two and six, thirty-three and four. And by the way, the thirty-two and six came without Marcus Sasser and Tremont Mark. Mm-hmm. The the 28 and four came without Caleb Mills, who was the conference player of the year. Yeah. And this year they basically didn't have a, they basically didn't have a center. Mm-hmm. And they went 33 and four and they were the best team in the country. Yeah. Like, like number like one. Jarris Walker was their center. Like they were number one in Ken Palm the entire year. So, and so that's like, with good reason. Like Calvin was my number one coach last season and something had to happen for him to move to number two and like I like he's still what like the elite of the elite yeah I think I would agree with your top two now I think I disagree with number three but I see where you're coming from in terms of a development of a head coach and the development of the diversity of his offense I think Dan Hurley is the biggest revelation in college basketball coaching over the last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think with with Dan Hurley, the thing that impressed me the most is how they just 
they got over that January like slide. Like, like we, we, you and I both said like they have enough time to like write the ship. But like the fact that they actually did and like went out and won the national championship was like way more impressive than we realized just saying that they have time. Yeah, I mean, it's not just that. Because, you know, who else had time? A lot of teams had time. Mm-hmm. You could lose four games in January, and you can still have time to come back and be really good. Dan Hurley's UConn team, in terms of diversity of their offense, you get Jordan Hawkins moving. You give the ball to Andre Jackson. You have Sonogo in the post. You have Klingon. They There wasn't anything that UConn didn't have in their playbook last year. And you could say that that's about the talent, but that team has three returning players. Three. I mean, there was Samson Johnson, but he doesn't count. She got hurt seven minutes into the first game. Three returning players, Adam Sinogo, Jordan Hawkins, and Andre Jackson. He built the pieces to find the rest of that roster mm-hmm. and then built the play- – he built basically the playbook and the pieces together – to make the most unstoppable force in the country. Yeah. Like, just the way his offense ran with all these different movements and, like, in March, like, if you turned them on, like, in the tournament, like, it was literally like you were looking at art. Like, they're just like... And also, this is for a guy who's primarily known as a guy who's going to have these tough, scrappy, defensive teams mm-hmm. that are a little sloppy on the I mean, the UConn teams before this year, they were not pretty offensively. No. And they not come th- out, and they might be the they, they might have been the prettiest offense in the country last year. Mm-hmm. They he recruits tough guys from tough places, and he's winning. He brought UConn back. Yeah, and, and he, he also develops extremely well. Yes, Andre Jackson's development, Adama Sinogo's development, Jordan Hawkins. Adama was come. Adama came out this year and was shooting threes. <laughs> Adama came out shooting threes, which is something that I said freshman year. If he can add a fifteen foot jump shot, he's an NBA player. Yeah, and then he, he added, added a three. three point shot, and now he's in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I still though want to see if this year was kind of. I, I want to see. I want to see sustainability here before I yeah. put him at three. Mm-hmm. Because I look at the guy who's at number four, and he basically did what Dan Hurley did, not as fast, but over a 20-year window, built consistent winners at a place that really hadn't had winners like that before. It's going to be tough to match. Drew. It's going to be tough to match a, a rebuild that Scott Drew did, even even with the amount of time it took. Like, what Baylor was going through when he took that job. And then, in, like, I think his first press conference, like, he said, like, this, they were going to win a national championship. And then, and they caught years him later, crazy. they did. They called him crazy. And the first three years, the first four years, he had a losing record. Mm-hmm. They didn't make an NCAA tournament until year five. Yeah. They didn't win a tournament game until year seven. They didn't have 30 wins until year 10. But who cares? This is a, this is Baylor. This is one of the lower, one of the, this is arguably the, one of the toughest jobs in the big 12 because 
You're not in Dallas. You're not in Houston. You're not in San Antonio. You're in Waco. You are not a, you're not, you, you're still state university, but you're not a state university that Texas is. You're not Texas Tech. You're not Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. You don't have as much money as those schools. You don't have as good facilities as those schools. It's a tough job. And you're recruiting against so many talented coaches in the Big 12. And Scott Drew just built consistent winners, sending to, sending guys to the NBA. His defenses are tough, aggressive, and they deny the ball. They're, it's really, really special stuff that they do. And then the last couple wow. of years, the offenses have been electric. Yeah. They, they got some soul-searching to do, which is the reason – for the drop, like they were in the nineties, I think in defense last year, they might've even gotten to a hundred with that tournament performance, but obviously like still one of the best programs in the country. Yeah, obviously. I think that's the way to go. All right. Eric Musselman at five. I, I disagree with this. I just, I know. I know. I, I, I get it. I get it. But his teams don't have the cohesion that these, that the other teams have. I get that. Like three straight second weekends now, right? From us. Um, if you want to be the best, need more consistency in the regular season. And like last year, like they were missing Nick Smith. It wasn't entirely his fault, but turned it on late. Still need more in the regular season from him. To, to get into that top three. Anything else on him? Not really. Mm-hmm. All right, Patino. Um, guy I, had I, my, I love this. Guy I had I'm, in my top ten last year. I have Patino at three. I have, <laughs> by the way, my list, which I haven't posted, Self, Samson, Patino, Drew, Hurley. Perfectly okay with that. And I don't really see any reason why Rick Pitino is not a top five. Yeah, I mean, like, it's like one of one of my least favorite things is, like, people will rank – will not rank a coach as high because of where he's coaching. Like – If you watched Iona mm-hmm. – I mean, look, no disrespect to Tim Kloos, but Iona was recruiting at a different level with Rick Pitino. And right. – they were, for over the last two years, a better basketball team than what they than what Tim Kloos put out on the court. And that's not, that's, again, no disrespect to Tim Kloos, but Iona, 76 and 89 in Ken Palm. Tim they, Kloos hadn't they, they had... Won, they, they won some sort of conference title every year Rick Pitino was there. In, in the last two seasons, they went 34 and 6 in... in a league that has some of the most parity in the country. Tim Kloos, his last, Tim Kloos hadn't gone, hadn't done that. Tim Kloos did that, what, three times? Yeah, Tim Kloos did it three times. Rick Pitino did it twice in his only two full seasons. Mm-hmm. And again, no disrespect to Kloos, who's one of the best coaches in the country at, this, at the time in his own right. I always thought he was one of the most underrated coaches in the sport. And, and I expect St. John's to be good this year. And we saw it at St. John's. 
this guy comes at, just guts the whole roster, and builds a top 25 roster from scratch. Mm-hmm. He's recruiting at a different level from 98% of college basketball coaches, and he's coaching at a different level. The quick trigger timeouts. There is no coach in the country that is a bet that has a better sense for when to call timeout than Rick Pitino. And it's not even close. Yeah. You, I mean, you've seen it plenty of times. I talked with, I talked with him and I don't think, I, 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 don't, I don't know exactly how much he respects me. Cause he did, he did one time say like, and he did one time like say that I was very young and like, that means I didn't, I don't know very much. <laughs> But I don't think he meant that like as, a, as an insult. My point is, that guy can really fucking coach. There's nothing he can't do. Jim Laranay at seven might be the biggest riser. Yeah, he was. A, he proved, because he, he proved it. Like, he can do it again. Like, I, I, like, listen, like, it's not like you can say, like, oh, like, Jim Laranay, like, doesn't really, like, care what happens in the regular season because they won the ACC regular season title last year. But, like, he, like, very clearly builds his roster to win in the tournament. Like, he he's going to come at you with these fast-paced, smaller teams that are very hard to prepare for because, like, nobody sees teams in the, in the regular season like Miami. Nobody sees them because they don't exist. Mm-hmm. Miami is one of one. Norchad Omir is one of one, and he found him. And that was just like, okay, six, seven center, whatever. He's still going to be one of the best rebounders in the country. Again, he finds this guy, makes John Ruiz, gives them all the money, whatever. And then, okay, he's your six, seven center. And they don't need a taller guy than that. No, they don't. And they don't. Because the guard development at the University of Miami between Charlie Moore, Isaiah Wong, Cam McGusty. Obviously not Nigel Pack because he was already really good. Yeah. But we'll go like, Poplar. Like, I, think, I think we'll see it again this year too with um with Matthew Cleveland. Like Matthew Cleveland and, and oh the Jordan Miller development. My right. God. That guy was a, that guy was a borderline all American this year. When you include how well he played in the tournament, he might have been an all American. Development, and, adaptability just off the charts at Miami right now. In terms of adaptability and in terms of just having a clear, all right, this is what we're going to do. He's a mix of the self Samson in the, uh, in the adaptability because Samson seems aren't super adaptable mm-hmm. and self teams don't really have a ne- don't really necessarily have an identity. Right. Which is kind of a problem that we're going to have this year. They have too much of an identity which is never a good thing for a Kansas team, but... Um, um, okay, so Gr- Greg McDermott... Like, I have him about 10 spots lower. Just, like, one of the most fun coaches to watch, like, in-game for me. He's not a fun coach if you're tied to Washington, though. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. But, like, I'm all, I always am impressed with the stuff they do in-game, the way they adjust, the and... They're tough to beat. Really tough to beat. Like he's he's de- he's developing fairly pretty well there too. So. I mean, Kalkbrenner's development. You look at Marcus Zegarowski. You look at Ryan Nemhard, Trey Alexander from year one to year two. Oh my yeah. god, that was he, Trey Alexander's an NBA player. Like yeah, completely. Trey Alexander, 
Trey Alexander could have been a borderline first-round pick this year. He's Trey Alexander might be a lottery pick next year. And we'll see. I mean, obviously, he didn't have him in year one, but we'll see what he does with Isaac Trout coming coming in this year too. If Trey Alexander is a lottery pick, I would not be surprised. No, if not Arthur Kloom, well, Arthur Kloom is not there anymore. But if in he's the, a lottery in this pick, class, in this class, wouldn't be surprised at all. All right, there's not much more to go up there. Mark Few at nine seems a little low to me. I don't really think we need to explain that. It's a good coach. Like, I'll, I'll 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 have my theory until I don't. But you know, yeah, I mean, the Tommy Lloyd theory is there. The recruiting is mediocre compared to what it once to what it was when they were getting. This, home they got Tommy Stromer. I, I just don't think the rosters that he's built over the last two years are complete enough. Right. But I still have him at six. I have him higher than you. I do. Mick Cronin. Yeah. Um. You know, Rothstein has his slogan about Mick, and I think it's one of his true, truer ones. Like, both in rankings and just, like, the way his teams play. Again, very consistent. Like, UCLA, we know what the, we're getting from them. They will play slow. They will guard. They will, they will be able to make tough shots despite whatever shot quality will say. So, mixed established himself as a really good coach. UCLA is in a way better place than they were when before, before he was there. Yeah, I mean, I just look at what it is, and Steve Alford, meh. They, they just had a bunch of really mediocre hires there at mm-hmm. a place where you should be a blue blood. Yeah. And Mick Cronin's building that program back up to a blue blood. Yeah, I mean, like, when they hired him, like, I could see, like, I obviously, like, wasn't as in tune then, but, like, uh, you could see why people are like, oh, boring. UCLA just hired the Cincinnati coach. Well, it makes a damn good one. Uh, yeah, I was like that. I didn't think it was – I kind of thought it was just like, okay, UCLA hired the Cincinnati coach. They're going to be Cincinnati. No, they're UCLA again. Yeah. Tommy Lloyd at 11. I have Tommy Lloyd at 14. I think we both agree so, that aesthetically pleasing basketball – yeah, what he does like, best. I think Tommy Lloyd's great. Like, the guy recruits, he develops, he runs good stuff. Like, the way they've lost the last two, the way they've ended their season for the last two years, like, probably leaves some people with a really sour taste. Yeah, and I get that. And honestly, I think that's one of the reasons I have him lower than you. I just think that they played – totally non-adaptable basketball at times this year. And it came back to bite them in a bunch of road games and oh, a bunch of road games over the last two seasons. Mm-hmm. And especially against Princeton, they just didn't, they weren't prepared. Yeah. Um, and they just like got physically beat in the second half. That was bad. But, but the big, but, in terms of recruiting the European market, best coach in the country. Yes. Didrik Gonzaga is doing it again. Mm-hmm. They got a kid, I forget his name. Um, they, they got a kid who's basically the next to Bellis. Philip? Um, hold on. I forget how to pronounce his last name. It starts with an F. Wait, no, I'm wrong. It starts with a B. His it's- name is oh. Matias Trivas. He is 7'2", 250, 
with a seven-five wingspan, and he's more athletic than Tabellis. Super skilled as well. Mm-hmm. He's he might not even be the next Tabellis. He might be better than Tabellis. Yeah. All right. Uh, Izzo at twelve, still really good. Yeah. Coach. I mean, uh, the teams are the teams are adaptable. Past in, in, in tournament past play. his prime, but hasn't like taken a complete nosedive yet. Yeah, I think the teams are adaptable. He's still recruiting at a high level. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really think there's much to go off of there. Nados. I mean, outside of the whole situation that they they went through, like he. he as a basketball coach, Nate Oates is good. As a as like culture building is a part of this, right? Yes. As a culture builder, to, to say he's been average lately would be generous. Like, I don't think he's built I – I think the culture is there. And I, I'll give him credit for building culture. I just think that there was – a lack of program control. There, there was a lack of cons- yeah, a lack of control. I, I don't really think that he managed the situation well, and I don't think that makes him a worse coach. Honestly, if it happens again, I'll have to dock him. Okay, okay. I'm, <laughs> should, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dock him. That situation should, was really bad. <laughs> I should rephrase. If anything else. If there's any more concerns about the culture there, I'll dock him. Yeah. And I already like, but like I don't I don't think that I think that this program I think that that situation is not his fault. Like the way he handled it was bad. It's just like what's concerning about it, and like this is like a January story that we're talking about in July. Like what what's concerning and like the reason I say like program control is because like when it happened, it was like so unclear, like if like Alabama had like team rules to like address this. Yeah. Anyway, regardless of that, we do have to say, awesome basketball coach. Yeah. Guy, no. One's, as, they, they, as a as a very Alabama, diverse... Alabama and Arkansas, Oates and Musselman have done incredible jobs there. I have Oates at ten, Musselman at thirteen. Yeah. Clear. Clear. Um. Clear. By the way, like clear system that Oates runs. Like like you know what very you're good at. system. Now this is one of our bigger disagreements. So where do you have Matt Painter? I think I, I, I move. I need to move him up a little. I have him at forty. He should be closer to thirty. Wow. I think that his teams. If you take everybody on this list, the Big Ten coaches, aside from Izzo, are the least adaptable. Painter yeah. team. They also, outside of one guy in the last couple. Outside of the fact that he's recruited, he recruited a superstar in Jaden Ivey. He developed Ivey into a superstar. The teams don't have clear identities, and before Ivy, before two, like two years ago, they didn't have an identity when they were a four seed and lost to North Texas. They, their identities over the last two years have been: we have Jaden Ivey and we have Zach Ivey. That's not very good. Okay. Development excellent. Tournament results terrible. So, there's I don't think I, I, I see where you're coming from. Okay, having so, fourteen, like I don't think it's that bad. I just pretty disagree. So here's where 
here's where I'm going to jump in and make make a comparison and then defend why it's not accurate. If you watch the way Painter's team kind of unfolded in the back half of the season last year, gives you very like Auburn vibes right from the time before. And that, oh yes, I, I I don't think I've heard this one yet. Tell me why it's not like that. So first of all, like Bruce Pearl has one tournament run at Auburn. One. Like it's twenty like it's twenty nineteen and it's nothing else. And what does I, that Painter have? Well he has the twenty nineteen run where he got to the Elite Eight and was a lucky play away from the final four. Okay. He has twenty he's been to a bunch of He's been to a bunch of Sweet Sixteens. He's been to a handful of Sweet Sixteens. He also um, has a lot more like conference tournament or conference hardware than Bruce Pearl does. I think, and, I, and I'm not saying I think he's worse than Bruce Pearl. I'll still have him many spots above Bruce Pearl. But like, they won the regular season and tournament title this year. So like, they didn't like. Yeah, they were bad in the second half. But like, they didn't like unfold. Like like Auburn did. Auburn yeah, like and I agree with Auburn. That. Auburn came out in the SEC tournament and just completely laid an egg against Texas A and M. That was funny. Um and like Bruce Pearl has had legit tournament success with one group of players with one team. Matt Painter will funnel in a new big guy every year and get to the Sweet Sixteen. Okay. Yeah, and look, I, I, I believe you. I, I've seen it. I just think that in terms of adaptability and championship potential, it's not there. Great coach, not. But just, I also like. If listen, you want, like, if if you want to win the Big Ten, great. But I want to win national championships. And right. I don't think like, Matt Painter's teams I don't think Matt Painter's teams can in March when they've been scouted figure out how to beat different types of teams. I also like I have an interesting kind of concept here for you that I want to throw at throw at you. Okay. Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer, like we know they were freshmen last year, right? Yes. Like do you know like what they were ranked? Pretty low. They were like nineties, hundreds, right? Yeah. So, we already know it's, like, hard to win with freshman guards in March. Right? Like, it's already difficult. If, like, these kids were ranked 90s and 100s, and maybe maybe it's maybe it was a little low, right? Maybe it, maybe it wasn't. But, yeah, I was not high on either of them. Once, once they got figured out in – pro- it was, like, early February, right? They got figured out. It was honestly the, the Michigan How, State. Like, could Matt Painter – sure, Matt Painter could have adjusted a little better. But, like, once they got figured out, these are freshman guards ranked in the 90s and 100s. As freshmen, maybe that's just what they were. But here's the thing. We've seen it with non-freshmen where his teams get into March and they don't adapt to the competition. They're playing Big Ten basketball against ACC and SEC opponents. It just doesn't oh, like, work. But, like, what, what examples do you have of that? I mean, I watched it happen against North Texas, against St. Peter's, 
Their last three, even, their last three losses have been to mid majors. They've been fine against high majors. Okay, that, you, you, but before that as well, they they had they had a they had a ceiling. Like they have, they have a ceiling. Listen, like they can't keep losing to mid majors. Like they just can't, right? Like it's it's not gonna happen. <laughs> it's, three, like, it's three years in a row where they've lost like, to a mid major. But that's like, gonna dock you in my ranking. But, like, they also, like, came out and, like, handled Texas two years ago. Like, just completely handled them. Like, Did, did any of us think that Texas team was that good? In 2019? No, but, like, they still handled them. That Like, 2019, they yeah, came and out. They, and, just, then, like, and then they lost to a MAC team. 20, 2019, they came out <laughs> and, like. They lost to the second best MAC team. Tw- 2019. And they, they came lost out. to the second best NEC team this year. In 2019, like, they came out and crushed Villanova in the second round, and then they came out five days later, or four days later, whatever it was, and just completely, he completely outcoached Tennessee, which is like Rick Barnes, so like, like. He completely uh, outcoached Tennessee, and you know what? So did I. But. I like, could, could outcoach Rick Barnes in, in this, the second I'm round. I'm saying, like, yeah, like, this, like, there's a problem that needs to be fixed, but there's also, like. Way more to go off of. Look, I wouldn't be surprised if the problem gets fixed. But until it's fixed, I can't I, I can't declare that okay. there's no That's problem. That's fair. That's fair. You have Jerome Tang at 15. I have him at 11. I don't feel like the four-spot difference is that huge. Best culture builder in college basketball. I think that's very fair. I mean, who's better? Like... Maybe Ed Cooley. Listen, I would still have Jerome Tang at 15 if they lost to Kentucky. Yeah. And like, I picked them to lose to Montana State. Remember mm-hmm. that. And then we, we it didn't, didn't matter. We didn't anticipate Marquise Noel turning into the freaking, what's it called? The red monster from Space Jam. <laughs> But yeah, Jerome Tang, good culture builder. Like, honestly, like the 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 little baby videos of the locker room during the tournament, like bumped him up five spots. <laughs> they enough. probably did. They probably did. <laughs> they probably only... bumped him up five. They probably bumped him up fifteen spots on the CBK report rankings. Yeah. <laughs> but like best culture builder in college basketball, you listen to him. He doesn't sound like a basketball coach. He sounds like a preacher. Mm-hmm. And I mean that in the best way possible. All right, Chris Beard at 16. I know you have him lower. Um, Still think he's Do a really I? good coach. No, I have him at 16. Oh, really? I thought you had him yeah. lower. Um, no, I didn't. I think that the thing about Chris Beard is when he when he gets something right, his impact lasts an extra year. And that's why we see Rodney Terry at 47 and Chris Beard at 16. What are you going on about? I just think that that's funny. Yeah. Do you agree? I know you agree with me, though. I don't disagree. I just think it's a funny coincidence. I also think that Ole Miss might be particularly good this year. Oh, absolutely. And I think when I looked at what he built, I I moved him up. You have Randy Bennett, 17. I have Randy Bennett. 15. Another guy just quietly, not just identity building, but they have 
they they're adaptable. They have amorphous identities, mm-hmm. and they've morphed into from from one of the best offensive teams in the country and one of the best defensive teams in the country. Right. And in terms of an under the radar talent, is there a better under the radar talent finder in the country than? Mr. Yeah, what, what, what they got out of Mahaney last year was... Not just Mahaney, but finding guys like Della Vidova and Landale out of nowhere. I mean, they, they've got another kid coming uh, in this year, Jordan Ross. Mm-hmm. Not the next day to Mahaney, but he's really good. I mean, like, Mitchell I'm, Saxon, what, these were not... These aren't. These were not high... Logan Johnson, Alex Dukas, Augustus Marcialonis, these were not highly ranked recruits, and he's m- playing top 10, top 15 basketball with these guys yeah. that were not highly ranked recruits. They are not the most athletic guys, but they, they're switchable. They are very smart. Mm-hmm. He gets the best out of his players. Yeah. I mean, he's turned a lot of random dudes into NBA guys. Aiden Mahaney's going to be an NBA guy. Yeah. 18, I think Jamie Dixon does has a lot of the same problems that you talked about with Scott Drew. That just, like, he's not, like, he's in Texas. He's not the high-profile program. But, like, last couple years – has consistently competed at an extremely high level. And I love the way his teams play. They're very tough. Like the culture there, I can tell that the culture there is excellent. They have given, like, we talked about how, like, consistent Kansas is and, like, how um, how good they've been in the Big 12 compared to, like, like – What happened there? One second. I think something's going on with my computer. I'm trying to fix it. It's okay. Just talk. Okay. So we we talked about earlier how consistent Kansas has been, like, in the Big 12. James Dixon's given Bill Self more problems than anybody the last couple years. Yep. All right. Brian Dutcher at 19. I think I probably had him around that same spot last year in terms of consistently building a winner. Yeah, I think I had him at 24. And then they go out and make the national championship. They were going to be a top – they were a top 15 team all year. They kind of never really got credit for it until the tournament. And they they outplayed Charleston. They outplayed um, Furman. They outplayed Alabama. They outplayed everyone they faced in that tournament until until the final. Yeah. Uh, just a very good run, very good season overall. Um, didn't I like? I think they met expectations, like and, and not, then they, not only them they, the they, they met expectations in the regular season. Double, cha- they, they were the champions of the um, of the Mountain West tournament. They were the champions of the Mountain West, I believe, regular season, or was that Boise State? Uh, the ch- they won both. They won both. Double dual champs. And honestly, Leon Rice himself, very underrated. I think there's a lot of underrated coaches in the Mountain West. Yeah, I mean, like, later. when you think about it, like, well, how many teams are there in Div- Division One now? It's more than 363. There, no, there's 360 teams. In, there's 361 teams in Division One. Okay. No, so 362, because you I lose mean, Hartford, you lose St. Francis, Brooklyn, you add Lamore. Your top 50 is, like, the top 13, 14%. So... Like, there are a lot more good coaches than are just listed on here. Yeah. Uh, Sean Miller. Uh, I... 
Sean Miller, I'll talk about Sean Miller. First year back from coaching, he took a couple years off, and it does. It didn't feel like it didn't feel like they took anything off. That guy came and immediately revitalized that program. They looked like a legit top tier program in college basketball. They looked like a legit top tier team for a long not not top tier. They looked like a well oiled machine all year long. That offense was humming. They got that defense really humming. They dealt with injuries. They recruited well out of the portal. He built a really good team with Suli Boom at the one. Um, I do want to wait a moment. So I will. Actually, no. Here, let's take a look at some of the questions. No, because we're going through this list one by one. And we're trying to get Jonathan back on here. We'll be able to hopefully as soon as possible. But this is this is the brackets, bubbles, and bid stealers, season four, episode two. Just a really great day to be. If it's a great day to have a great day, always. Um, Jonathan's back here. All right, thank you so much, Jonathan. For Sorry, guys, talk, my computer went bizarre. I talked a little bit about Sean Miller. Just yeah, I about how it looked like he took no time off, but he had that year, obviously, and they looked really good, well-oiled offensive machine, yada yada yada. Yeah, I think I told you earlier, I thought he did a really good job this year. Took a nice mix of uh, of players that were already at Xavier and players that um, he got through the portal and put together a really solid roster and ended up paying off. Ed Cooley at 21, culture builder. Mm-hmm. Um, built a culture at Providence, winning culture and a transfer portal mastermind, there's going to be a little bit of a hangover effect. First year at a new at a new job. Yeah. It's not going to be easy this year. He doesn't and have the most honestly, perfect roster in the world. By the way, I would not be surprised if this is Ed Cooley's like peak on our lists. If he never comes back to 21, I would not be surprised. Really? Yep, I would not be surprised. But if he... I would also not be surprised if he somehow ascends into the top 10. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, George, like there are a lot more, there's a lot more upside at Georgetown for him than there was at Providence. But like, there's yeah. also a lot more downside because at Providence, he was just going to continue to recruit guys out of the portal. Georgetown, it's a whole different animal. Sure. He can do it, but right. if it doesn't get off the ground after two years, their kids aren't going to keep committing to him. Mm-hmm. Don't disagree with you on that. Tony Bennett, 22. I disagree. I know. This but, is probably my most controversial one. But I get it. I do get it. Like, listen, like, the bottom line is, like, I still think Tony Bennett's a good coach. But, like, at some point, like, he hasn't won a tournament game since 2019. That is absolutely concerning. I like, can't 
say it's not. The last, the, the last time Tony Bennett won a tournament game was the national championship. But the teams that he's put together the last few years, honestly, I'll, I've, I've been a big Tony Bennett fan for over a decade. I've been willing to give him the benefit of the doubt after building some not-so-great rosters. Mm-hmm. Just because of what he can get on the defensive end out of guys. Yeah. And I think that if they don't have if they don't have a really good year this year, I'll drop him big. Yeah. Buzz um, Williams is twenty three. I don't think I've ever truly heard your case for Buzz. Like Okay. So this is more a more murky one that's harder to defend just because like the results for Buzz aren't there. But, like, in terms of, like, adaptability, Buzz has, like, won at every place he's been. He's won. He Never hasn't won, too much. He hasn't won at an elite level, but he's won. Okay. That's more his adaptability than his team's adaptability. Correct. Which I would say is the more important one. We're not, we're not exactly analyzing Buzz for what he did at Virginia Tech or Marquette. No, but like... I, I mean, I, I don't have him too much lower than this. I, I have him at like mid-30s. I also like think that like with Buzz, like at Texas A&M specifically, his team has improved every year. Yeah, and I think that's valuable. And I think if and I think that they, they could they could be an elite team this year. There's certainly a possibility of that. Listen, I totally like I totally understand why people would disagree with this. I just th- I just think he's a good coach. Like I think he knows what he's doing. Okay, I, I get it. Some some guys you just watch and you say, "All right, I like that guy." Mm-hmm. Dusty May, twenty four, definitely biggest riser on this list. I mean, yeah, he wasn't even considered last year. <laughs> and, and that's not counting guys like Amir Burahim and mm-hmm. Tobin Anderson. Maybe yeah. you should count Amir, but that was, that, that was different. That was like a four-year build in terms of – and I, honestly, I don't have Amir Burahim in my top, in my top 50. Mm-hmm. I think that's a little high, but just I, I like, 24. I like to not top 100 last year. What would you say? The guy was not top 100, maybe not top 150 last year. No. And that's a little bit of a blind spot on our end, honestly, because that FAU team last year, they lost a lot of one-possession games, and it's a blind spot for him. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Now they win a lot of one-possession games. So, like, I think the thing about this FAU team is, like, it's not just that they – had won a lot of games and had a lot of success. It's not that they just went to a Final Four. It's that you would watch them, and like the first time I watched them, my first thought was like, this roster is constructed so beautifully. This team is so hard to guard. Like, that that's it. And like that, that ended up being Everybody the case can... all year. Everybody can shoot. Everybody can defend. Golden, Rosado, all those guys in the post. The wings, the guards, John L. Davis and Elijah Martin 
are NBA athletes. Especially Davis. Martin less so. And, like, usually, like, usually a team like that where, like, they don't really have a clear number one option. Like, they don't do that well. But, like, like if Janelle Davis was having a bad game, like, it wouldn't matter. Because, like, other guys would just play well. Like, that's just how it worked for them. I mean, Brian Greenlee and Nick Boyd would be a decent starting backcourt in the ACC. Mm-hmm. And that was Dusty May's backup backcourt. And and Florida. Nick was a fresh and Nick was a freshman too, wasn't he? Or he was a sophomore, I think. Yeah. So, all right, twenty-five Shaka Smart. Don't really think there's much to get into here. I mean, his team's fade after January every year. Solid. He's a solid coach. He's always been a solid coach. I don't really think there's much to get into at twenty-six either with John Shire. I mean, like no, I think like people like. Like honestly, like you know how like, I didn't. I don't even judge him at all for last year. You know how you know how I know that like he's gonna end up like probably rising on this list. Why? The only people that like don't think he's a good coach are like Duke haters. And like it's not that they don't think he's a. It's not that people don't think he's a good coach. It's that nobody really thinks he's elite. Duke fans. Yeah, Duke fans all love him. Duke fans all think he's gonna do, gonna win a ton here, and like, I think everybody, I think everybody thinks he's gonna win there. Now, pe- now there's people that think it's gonna be more because of Duke will win itself. I also like this is really specific to him, and it, it like really isn't applicable for a lot of these other guys. But I did like that when he came in to Duke, he made it like really clear right away that like. He wasn't just gonna run Coach K's program, like yep. this. This was his. Yeah, and then and, all right, Micah at twenty-seven, more plays really, than Broadway. Yeah, I mean, runs great stuff. Developed well. In terms of in terms of the stuff that he runs, it's some of the best. I mean, Penn State was playing really good basketball. They had shooters everywhere. Jalen Pickett was incredible. But again, it's going to be the Ed Cooley hangover effect at Notre Dame, and you put the Penn State colors. You know when um, yeah, this is really hard to explain. But like when Micah got hired at like at Penn State, it was just like a really good vibes hire. Like he got hired, and you're like, oh yeah, this will work. I didn't think it would work as well as it did, but I was high on Penn State last off season. I didn't think I was too. I didn't think it would work. I did it it did work as well as I thought it did, or I thought it would. It didn't it was a lot quicker than I thought it was gonna yeah. be. And my thing about Micah is I will never underrate him again because I convinced myself I was lower on him than I actually was. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think I, I, I have him in my I have him at twenty six. All right. Um, and all right, you have Amir Abdurrahim at twenty-eight. I get it. I lo- I like giving guys recognition for doing a good job. And by the way, I voted him for National Coach of the Year last year. Mm-hmm. I did. I just think that, but I think National Coach of the Year. I should not have voted him for number one. It should have been Dusty May or Jerome Tang. 29, uh, you mean, like, listen, like, what Amir did at, at Kennesaw is 
absolutely ridiculous. And I just like I think it deserves to be recognized. Maybe 28's a little high. I don't know. We'll we'll see. 29, Dennis Gates. I don't think you can really argue with this. This is a guy who won at a really difficult program in the Horizon League. He comes to the SEC, one of the harder jobs in the SEC, because it doesn't have the same recruiting base. And it's domi- and its main recruiting base is honestly dominated by Kansas. Yeah. And Dude, he comes in there. Missoula. Mizzou got a top four seed. Loses his his best score, makes a top four seed, brings Kobe, turns Kobe Brown into an NBA player, first round pick, Mm -hmm. and builds another really good basketball team this coming year. Yeah, I mean, like, that's just the thing that people don't even realize about Dennis. Like, when they got Mosley, like, he was supposed to be, like, an all-SEC guy and, like, their leading scorer. And he didn't have him for the entire year, and they were just as good as I thought they were going to be, if not even better. They were better. Mm-hmm. Like 30, Grant McCaslin. I have him higher than this. Grant, I think oh, Grant, Grant McCaslin is maybe not the next Scott Drew. Just, I mean, think about like talking. We talk about identity, right? Like Grant's teams have have such a clear one. It, but Grant is. He's got the Tony Bennett-type team. Mm-hmm. Obviously different. But I truly love watching North Texas. And I think he's going to be really good at Texas Tech. Again, there's going to be a hangover. Guys. First year in a new job. It's mm-hmm. tough. Now, 31, Steve Peichel. I would have him higher. Could definitely see that. I have Steve Peichel at 21. I think so, Steve Peichel might be the most underrated coach in college basketball. And here's why. Okay. What the fuck was happening at Rutgers? You're not Rutgers. Right. Rutgers hadn't made an NCAA tournament in like 30 years. They win a tournament game in year five. They make it back in year six. They were on course for a top four seed in year seven before, they, before their most impactful player got hurt. Mm-hmm. He comes back. Their star big man comes back. They have guys coming back. Rutgers is going to be good. And not just that, they have an identity. They're one of the more adaptable teams in the Big Ten, I feel. And look at what he's got coming down the wire. Like, but like losing Moat Mog was just, it was decimating. Like, he did everything for them. But look at what look at what they have coming down the wire at Rutgers. Okay, so they here's are the going th- to bring in the top two recruits so in here, the country at here's Rutgers. The, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Right? We talked about how recruiting is a part of this. I can't put him higher for players that we don't know for sure he's having, he's getting yet. I mean, he got Ace Bailey. I, he did get Ace Bailey, but. Do you and think it's probably do you think it's do you think it's fair to evaluate 2024 recruiting when the season that that class isn't coming in yet? I think when it's Rutgers and he's get and he's got the number three recruit in the country, I think it is. Yeah, but like these kids haven't signed their NLIs yet. He's going to come. If he doesn't come, I'll drop him. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that like I'm just wondering out loud 
if we can evaluate coaches for I, I think that in certain situations you can at a job like Rutgers you can because well, like okay because like I, like the point I was gonna make is like in that in that white bar above the above all the coaches what does it say 2023-24 Ace Bailey's not playing in college basketball it's 2023-24 now my thing about that is like you can you can rank it however you want but I think this is this is a ranking of how good the coach is at a certain in, in a in time period 2023 2024. You're not wrong. Not, You're not wrong. wrong. I'm, I'm sort of playing devil's advocate here. Okay, Ox, love him. Good coach. Identity, good transfer portal guy this year. Most underrated offseason. Owns Greg Gard in recruiting high schoolers for whatever reason. Milan Momsilovich. Tyrese Hunter. Tyrese Hunter. Yeah, exactly. Recruits the state of Wisconsin really well. I mean, he's from Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, Chris Collins, 33. A miracle worker. Yeah, like, I think there's some jobs where, like, like the expectations are so low that it's like whenever the guy does anything notable, like, it's like, wow. And Chris Collins is the guy for Northwestern. He should never leave. Chris, like, Northwestern was, like, the most irrelevant program ever before Chris got there. They, and they didn't have a single tournament appearance. <laughs> That's so wild to think about. They are a Big Ten school, and they never made the tournament. Mm-hmm. Never. And he had them a couple plays away from the Sweet 16. 34, Rick Barnes. Yep. I don't think anyone's going to debate you on this. No, I mean, like, the March, I guess if you want to call them failures, are, are what they are. But t- Tennessee and, like, he's, like, basically, like, he's a consistent top, like, he is a consistent top ten program. They're in the top ten every year. But. Like, if he, get, if he gets to the lead eight, gets to a final four, like, he will continue to rise. Adaptability. Is, is bad. Neg- is like negative. Bad. Mm-hmm. I we'll love see. thirty-five. We'll, we'll see. I'm excited. I'm excited for for this Tennessee team. This I team. love Tobin Anderson at thirty-five, and I think it's a great spot. Yeah. Apologies now. for putting him and Amir in the wrong colors, by the way. Uh, and Micah. And Micah, but uh, yeah, Tobin's. Listen. You could say what you want, like, oh, like, you only put him here because he beat Purdue. Like, people who, like, like, follow – people who follow college basketball like you and I, like, they knew Tobin was a good coach. Yeah, Tobin can coach. But most importantly, Tobin had to do what Rick had to do. And he had to build a totally new roster save one guy. Yeah. And he did it, and he's go- and they are the runaway favorites in the conference. No, nah, they're not going to be as good as they were with Rick. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a top. This is going to be a top one hundred and fifty team at a MAC program in year one. Yeah, and that's really impressive. Nobody does that. Rick does that. No, nope. did Rick even do that? Rick, Rick had like what one thirty in year one. I think so. Darian Debris thirty six. Guys, really good basketball coach. Offense, offense. I love watching every year at the MVC tourney. It helps that his son is really good at the sport. 
certainly helps when you have an NBA prospect as a son. Oh, man, that plays like <laughs> that, we call we call that the Greg McDermott effect. But like, it'll buy you some extra years if you ever struggle. We also have they also have had guys like Roman Penn and Garrett Sturts, who who have his culture is really good there. Agreed. They, they uh, those guys buy in. Andy Enfield, who has, in my opinion, the easiest job in college basketball. I've heard you say this, but, like, I want you to explain it on the pod. So, I'm going to make you explain <laughs> Okay. I'm, I'm going to pretend like I'm dumb. And, by the way, clip what, this. What do you mean, Sam? Like, what do you mean, Sam? No, no, no. Clip this, clip this for TikTok. Andy Enfield has the easiest job in college basketball. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Andy Enfield is at USC getting paid millions of dollars with mild expectations, basically saying, if you get a seven seed and bow out in the first or second round, that's fine. Which is literally what he's done in the last two years. That's basically what he's done. And he does that pretty much every year. They'll recruit well. It's good money, big NIL. Gets to live in LA, which I'm not a fan of, but a lot of people are. Like, and, and like, he's not going to get fired because his teams aren't bad. Do you think that this is the most untrue Rothstein slogan there is? More than a football school? No, they're a football school. Yeah, they are a football school. <laughs> it's, just they, it's just that their football program has fucking sucked because they hired Clay Helton. Like, Year. It's, it's just funny because, like, they spent $10 million just to buy Lincoln Riley a brand new house. It's a football school. He, he like, listen, Andy made the Elite Eight. I, no, I always Mobley made the Elite Eight. I always joke, I say he's an Evan Mobley merchant. That's put to the test this year. Oh, no, I still think, I think you're going to have a really good year, but I don't think it's going to get much better than this, and I don't think he's going to get fired because of it. If, I think if this if this team is a seven seed and loses in the first round, nobody. nobody will, I, if this team is a seven seed and loses in the first round, nobody will blink an eye. But he should really be fired. <laughs> yeah. Like, like if if this team is a seven seed and loses in the first round, like nobody will think twice about it. Nobody will think twice, but he should be fucking fired. How, how does how does this go under the radar? <laughs> Okay. Porter Moser at 39. Still believe this, in him. This is last chance saloon for Porter Moser. Because honestly, he could get canned if he doesn't make the tournament this year. Yeah. Three years at Oklahoma not making the tournament. Lon Kruger made final fours. Yeah. And yes, Lon Kruger's a basically a Hall of Famer. <laughs> He's a Hall of Famer, right? Yeah, I think so. But like, it just feels like at some point you've got to, you know. All right. Shahid at 40, another coach that you and I still believe in. You more than me because I look at his roster construction and say, all right, it's year two. Figure it out. And it's, this shit sucks. <laughs> yeah, it does. They're, they're going to – It's time for an it argument. will probably miss the tournament again this year. And that's not okay. In, in which case, I will bump him off. 
because he was not as high as Porter Moser was coming off of Loyola Chicago when he came off of St. Peter's. Porter Moser was like a top five coach in the country coming off of Loyola Chicago. Porter was Porter like turned them into a national program. And Porter's now had two years and he's dropped to 39, which is a good spot. Shaheen was like 20s last year. 24, I and think. hasn't and hasn't built anything at all in a year in a year in a, in a year in a rock in a year in a portal at Seton Hall. But that's a concern. Forty-one Brad Underwood. Listen, like I don't want to get into it with you about Brad. Here's the thing: I think there are a lot of high major coaches that would trade their or a lot of high major athletic directors that would trade their coach for Brad Underwood. Yeah, there's about thirty of them. So. I think Matt, I, I think Brad does a really good job recruiting. I think I I'm going to give him a pass on last year. I think he was trying something, it didn't work. He knew he knows what he needs to do now, and I think you can tell the Let's way. See, it, does he have a point guard? No, but like I don't know, it's going to be good. But I don't think the roster construction is that great. No, I'm talking more specifically about the fact that like. In this year, his transfers, he went out and got, like, Marcus Domask and Justin Harmon. Like, guys that will come in, like, will, will work hard, will earn their, earn their spot, like, are coming up from mid-majors. They're not going to come in and, like, act like they're the, the, the man, for lack of a are better you, Are you making a – are you trying to say Matthew Mayer drinking six Monster Energies is a bad thing? I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that they uh, – Matt Langham. They needed – Guys, that will we'll we'll move on from that. All right, um, Langle has built the best program in the Patriot League by far. Langle has built the best program, dare I say, in the state of New York. It's Colgate and Iona, honestly. Well, now St. John's and St. John's is up there, but in terms of building a consistent winner, Colgate and Iona are above everyone else in the state. Yeah, I mean Bonaventure's not bad. Like Bonaventure's basically Canada. I mean, I know Colgate's further north, but Bonaventure's different. All right. Um Andy Kennedy built a great program at UAB. Mm-hmm. Jelly Walker, Trey Jemison, Eric Gaines. Eric Gaines was a productive high major player who he got to transfer down. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Back to back years they get a twelve seed and then lose in the NIT finals for you. For a program like UAB, that's fantastic. Chris Jans, 44. Do you think he should be outside the top 50, yes or no? Yeah. Okay, I think that's fair. I, I get it with the hangover effect, but he was around 40s last year. Yeah. I, I don't mind. 40 to 70, like 30 to 70 is all really close. I was just, I was pleased he came in and established that oh, I. We didn't even, we, did we even mention 37? No, we didn't. Oh my god. Oh, we don't have to. <laughs> no, we don't. Uh, that that one speaks for itself. It does. He sucks. Um, <laughs> Forty-five Fran. I mean, he sucks. I... Isn't like the top ten percent of coaches in the country. <laughs> yeah. All right. Forty-five Fran. I mean, like, what do we think about Fran? Seriously. <laughs> Real quick. There's a difference between like John Calipari sucks and like oh the. Cleveland State coach sucks. Oh, Felipe Haas sucks. <laughs> By the way, I need top five 
worst coaches in the country. Wayne Tinkle, I don't know. I don't know. Just look at Patelis' Twitter and you can probably figure it out. (laughs) Michael Emerson White. (laughs) Fred Hoiberg coaching tonight. Watch and learn. (laughs) This is the world's only Tony Patelis fan podcast. Okay. Fran, um, just real quick. Great player development. Development. Yeah, I still think he's one of the better developers in the country. I agree. Dude, Iowa gets, like, the worst players in the Big Ten. Like, like their players are, like, sometimes Northwestern level. Yeah, they're, like, Nebraska level. Right. Okay. Uh, Neptune. Ooh, this is an interesting one. I don't really think there's much to – I don't really think there's much debate here. If anything, he's too low. Like, if you think Kyle Neptune sucks, that's fine. I'll take this down. I have Kyle Neptune at 32. Like – Because this guy – his first offseason at Fordham brings in Quisenberry, brings in They Carl. were like 2 and 12, like when, the year before he they got brought in. They brought in one of the best transfer portal classes in the country. They won an A-10 tournament game. Then he leaves. He doesn't have time to build his own roster. He doesn't know how to integrate the freshmen that he didn't recruit. He deals with injuries to his top returning player, and his freshman. And they still played really sound basketball. They pushed UConn. They pushed teams. People were saying they were going to win the Big East tournament. Is, is that a testament to, to, to the Villanova, what Villanova is with Kyle Neptune? Yes, it, it legitimately is. Because they watched those games and said, this is a threatening basketball team. And those are the same people right now that will say Kyle Neptune is not a top 50 coach. Yeah. Kyle Neptune then goes out Brings in Tyler Burton, TJ Bamba, um, Lance Ware, Keem Hart, and Akeem Hart from the transfer portal, and has built a top five, top eight team in the country. And by and the way, that, and by the way, if that doesn't happen, okay, I'll drop him. If they're not a top five, ten team in the country, I'll drop him. But right now, I think he's a top thirty-five coach in the country. I also like think that like like they are like. They added those guys to Eric Dixon, who we know is really good. Justin Moore, who we know when he's healthy, is really, really good. And from what it sounds like, it sounds like Mark Armstrong is really coming along. So I, I've i placed one bet on college basketball for next season, and it's Villanova at, pl- at 350 to 1 to win the national title. You got them at plus 3,500? Yep. And then – I'm Venmoing you ten bucks, and you're putting it on that. I will go on my computer right now if it decides to work. And what's your to... Venmo? Tell the people. Um, don't They'll send pay me... you. I don't know if it'll let me bet it twice, but I'll figure it out. Hold on. They'll okay. let you bet it twice. My computer's broken, so. All right, I will Venmo you ten bucks, and you will put ten dollars. Okay. The... Um. Who are we on? Rodney Terry at 47. This is another interesting one. Is so, it? Like, they, they won with Chris Beard's players. Next. I agree. Like, listen. If what happens to Rodney Terry happens to Mark Adams, the, if what, happens, what happened to Mark Adams happens to Rodney Terry. Yes, that's what I mean. Well, if that happens, would you be like the slightest bit surprised? Like, yeah. 
I want to give the guy. I mean, Mark Adams seemed out of touch with the culture. He kind of just seemed like he was. He kind of just looked like if Steve Jobs had been stuck at age sixty-five forever. I also like. Listen, what, I, what I will say about Rodney Terry is that like, he is like trying really hard to. By like, way, what did Mark Adams get fired for again? Did he say the N word or something? Something along those lines. It was something. I think I totally something. Forgot. But, like, listen, if Rodney proves it, I'll gladly move him up. But for now, like, I don't know. I just, I think there, there's a lot to, there's a lot that hasn't been said yet. Yep. Anyway. Like, who, who, why do we have to be the people that, come out and say listen Rodney Terry went 500 at UTEP with Sully Boom and Bryson Williams alright Pat Kelsey built a 30 win team at Charleston and he could do it again after losing some of his best players okay I'm about to say something and I mean no disrespect to Charleston oh no I know what you're going to say a team I hated if you wanted to put Pat Kelsey above Dusty May, I, I wouldn't argue with you. I have Pat Kelsey at 39. I have Dusty May at 28. Listen. In that, terms of... That team, what did you say their record was? 30 and what? 31 and 3. That team went 31 and 3 for no other reason than Pat Kelsey is a really good coach. Now, Pat Kelsey is, in terms of a culture builder, he did it at Winthrop. He's doing it at Charleston. He's going to get a high major job next year. He's going to get the West Virginia job next year. Good, that's, good. That, that, that's what I think is going to happen. I think he gets West Virginia. Good job. Um, 49, Bob Ritchie. I think Underrated. Like, you really I, good job at Furman. I think you said this to me. Um. When they won the SoCon tourney, you're, you're like, I think you texted me and said, "Can we all like just like collectively give Bob Ritchie a high major job now that like yes. he actually won the SoCon because like we knew he could coach." Yeah, I think I think like Nick tweeted that out and I copied it. Yeah, I mean, they should be contender. That they're, they're like they're probably the favorites, right? The SoCon again. Would, would assume so. They bring back J.P. Pegues and Garrett Kane and Carter Witt. Yeah, I mean, like, they don't have... They, lose their, two best, they lose their two best players. Still, still, like, we know he develops, like, still have good players there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, then 50, Tim Miles. The greatest coach of all time. <laughs> I mean, listen, like, I like to give some, some mid-major coaches... By the way, elite Rothsteinism. What is it? What is it again? It's a brand new one. Blood from a stone. Right. Yeah. I mean, Tano's Estate was the worst program, right? The Mountain West when he took it over. It like very. And they were a CBI team this past year, and they could have won that thing. It completely exceeded expectations. Was rewarded with the Mountain West Coach of the Year because of it. They had the Mountain West that's Player of the Year. By the way, a Mountain West team played for a national title, and their coach wasn't the coach of the year in the league. 
That that speaks to what Tim Miles did last year. Four teams made the tournament out of the Mountain West. Mm-hmm. Wait, it was four. It was four. Yeah, right? San Diego State, Boise, Boise State, Utah State, and New Mexico or not New Mexico, Nevada. Nevada barely made it. They don't count. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they like they didn't make it. They <laughs> <laughs> He lost by thirty to Arizona State. He lost by forty, and Arizona State lost by forty-five to San Francisco. Do you think Steve Alford just like saw that that like came into practice the next day and was like, you know, I think we should just hand this one to Arizona State. Rutgers probably deserves this. (laughs) Unbelievable. Some honorable mentions, real quick. Um, let me pull this up. Greg Gard, Gard. Tad Boyle, Mark Madsen, who's at Cal now, and Ryan Odom, who is now the head coach at VCU. And, okay, a couple other guys that I would mention around here. Leonard Hamilton. Wes Miller. Wes is a good coach. Kyle Smith. Jerry Stackhouse. Mm -hmm. Todd Golden. Steve Forbes and Mark Schmidt. Yeah, I think like all all those guys you, we just mentioned could very easily be in a top fifty list. Wouldn't wouldn't argue with it. Is there anything else you want to call? Oh, Peach Jam. Yeah, let's go over this real quick. Who are you impressed by the, by Peach Jam? I, I don't think there's I, I don't think there's any doubt as to who I was most impressed by at Peach Jam. <laughs> Let's talk about talk about the seventeens because like everyone knows. Oh, I, I didn't watch the seventeens. Oh, I did. I watched part of it. Um, I just watched Cooper Flag. <laughs> Darren Harris. Yeah, Duke, he's good. Duke, gonna gonna be flying up rankings. Um, Ahmad no, Noel. I don't know where he played, but Ahmad Noel. Really, uh, Mraz Johnson at Illinois, who's going to yeah, Illinois. I liked him. Really. I liked him. He, he, he ran with Mean Streets. Um, a lot, Ahmad Noel was at Team Final. Team Takeover won it um, over Vegas Elite. So it was. And let, let's just talk about Cooper Flag for a minute. Like, he's the greatest high school prospect I've ever seen. This guy. It's not even close. Is. He was born December 21st, 2006. He is full two years younger than yours truly. I, when I'm in college, I will not witness the guy play a college game. When when Duke comes to Syracuse, because he's going to Duke, I'm so confident of that. Fingers crossed. I'm just trying to jinx it. If he comes to Duke, and if they come to Syracuse his year, I will... I, I think that game will be the the greatest moment of my life in terms of watching an athlete. If you put him in the NBA right now as a 16-year-old, he would look competent. Not quite competent, but you could give him a minute and it wouldn't it wouldn't foster lawyer you. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 great use of that. <laughs> Michigan State really went from, from down five to up here. Then Izzo put lawyer five minutes and all out broke loose. 
That's such a great tweet. No, the better one is the one shining moment video. <laughs> yes. I need you to send me that again because I haven't seen it in a while. I gotta time. find it. Ant, Ant makes some really good stuff. Hopefully, we can get him on for the Big Ten preview. Honestly, I want. I, I'm definitely looking looking forward to that. I mean, Ant Wright possibly for the Big Ten. John Fanta, I want to get him on for the Big East for sure. I want to get Kevin Sweeney on. I want to get the uh, Easy Benance, CZ Benance on. <laughs> you, By the way, that's what you I'm calling him when he comes. To. You know, I went almost a full two months without thinking about CZ Benance. <laughs> And now you're going to go another two months without thinking about CZ Benz. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right. This, this, this wrap us up? Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you. Will. All right. This is it for the Brackets, Bubbles, and Bid Stealer Season 4, Episode 2. Make sure to join us for Season 4, Episode 3, which could be tomorrow. It could be in three months. Yeah, we don't know. That's the great thing about brackets, bubbles, and bid stealers. You never know. Everything's unexpected. It's like college basketball. I'm out of here.